Welcome to the Daily Bolster. Each day we welcome transformational executives to share their real-world experiences and practical advice about scaling yourself, your team, and your business. Welcome to the Daily Bolster. I'm Matt Blumberg, co-founder and CEO of Bolster, and I'm here with my friend Josh Baer. Josh is the founder of Capital Factory, uh, which is the largest active early stage uh, investor in the state of Texas. And uh, Josh, as you will hear a lot more about in the um, half an hour to come, uh, loves helping people quit their jobs and become entrepreneurs. Uh, Josh, it's great to see you. Hey, Matt. Great to be here. Yeah. So, um, uh, so Josh and I have known each other for many, many years. We were both in the email uh, business for a long time. I think we're, I think we're into the decades. I think friend. we're into the into the twenty plus, probably or pretty close. Yeah. And um, uh, as you'll hear, at one point, um, Return Path actually acquired one of Josh's companies, Other Inbox. Uh, Josh stayed on as kind of senior advisor and counsel to the executive team for a year or two while he was getting his current business um, off the ground. Uh, so, Josh, it's a pleasure to have you here today. And I think your the arc of your career, which is my kind of format for the uh, the Friday interviews, is um, is super interesting. I went I went into LinkedIn, even though I know you and I know the big things you've done. And um, I clicked on, you know, sort of see full profile and it was like, load more, load more, load more. And then there was a button that said, see all 43 items, um, which is more than the average, I would say more than the average bear. More than the average um, bear, right? Yeah. So um, I'm not gonna go through all 43, although it's pretty interesting just to scroll through them. Um, but- um, I, I think if you get, I'll go all the way back. It's the first one is grocery bagger. At the grocery store. <laughs> let's um, let's start with your first, you know, sort of first significant company, which I think you would say is Skylist. Yeah, is that fair. Um, Skylist yeah. started in the dorm room. Although interestingly, just looking here, there were like there were like ten things on your profile before that. Um, but uh, but let's start with starting a, a company in the dorm room that stuck, that became like a real you know real company, a real part of the the email industry. So. Um, talk about that. How did how did you how did you conceive of starting an email service provider uh, while you're a college student? Like it's a pretty wonky B two B type play. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it is. It's real funny. And I, you know, I also now teach a class at the University of Texas for student entrepreneurs, and I talk to a lot of them who are thinking about how they could start a business in college and what they should do and what they should focus on. And one of the first things I tell them is, well, you know, it's 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 pretty unusual to go start a business and have some like brilliant idea in the shower when you, about something you don't know anything about. Like usually you got to know a lot about something like that's where it comes from first. And so you got to pick something you're really passionate about or that you really know a lot about or you can be an expert at. And this was when I was getting started was in the mid 90s, 1996 to 98 kind of time frame. And um, and really, the internet, the commercial internet, was just becoming popular. You were probably at like movie phone or something at the time. Yeah, right. um, and uh, and it was like, um, you know, the people were just starting to basically put build websites to sell that just like like you buy airline tickets, you know, like you could just and it was just the start of all of the different things. And um, and so the big thing was building websites. Everybody wanted to build a website. Everybody wanted to run a web server. And everyone and building websites was programming. You know, like if you like you could like write HTML, that was like being a coder. Right. Um, which I think most people wouldn't consider necessarily being a coder today. Um, and um, and so I was a you know 
poor college kid who going to studying computer science at the time, but I wanted to run a web server and I wanted to run a website and, uh, and you could either run it on Linux and then you had to go learn like how to go install the Linux stuff. And, and Linux is a lot better today than it was 20, 30 years ago. Like, like it wasn't, it wasn't that great back then. It was like buggy and hard to use and not well documented. Or if you wanted to run a, a website uh, on your Mac, there was this program called WebStar by Star9. I don't know if you remember Star9. Um, and, uh, and, and everybody wanted to run WebStar. Chuck Schotten had, had written WebStar. And, um, and so I wanted to get the copy of WebStar. But WebStar cost like 800 bucks. And I was a college kid. There was no way I was like buying a copy of WebStar to be able to run a web server that for my website that didn't do anything or make any money. You know, like, right? Um, and so, um, so, of course, at the time, the only way I could possibly get a copy of WebStar that legitimately was to apply for the beta software program to get into the beta hmm. program, which kind of doesn't really exist anymore. This isn't like a thing. Like they just like have free trials or like, you know, early releases or whatever, but like that used to be a thing. And it was like secret to get into the beta. You had to apply and fill out a form and like, they didn't let everybody in. They were really looking for mostly like real customers. And so of course I go fill out the form signing up for the, you know, WebStar beta for program. And it's asked me how big my website is and how much traffic I have. And I'm like, none, none. Yeah, you know, like nothing to say. You know, it's like, like, what's your net worth? Zero. Um, and so I'm probably not looking like a very good beta customer, I think. And uh, and but at the same time that I'm filling that out, there's another program right next to it called Liststar, and they have a beta program too. And I have no idea what Liststar is, but filling out the form has all the exact same questions, so it's really easy to just copy and paste and fill it out at the same time. And so I applied for the Liststar one too. And, you know, it turns out everybody was applying for the WebStar one. Everybody wanted the web server and that was their real business. And so like, they were pretty picky. They could, you know, choose from who got it. And I did not get selected. I did not get into the WebStar beta program, but I got, but I don't think almost, I think not that many people applied for the, the email one for the ListStar one. And so they probably just accepted everybody. And <laughs> I got in and I suddenly, I, it's like, congratulations, you got into the the, the beta program. And so you, I get this software that technically costs like $600 or $800, right? And it shows up in the mail in a box with CD-ROMs and like a, you know, in a manual because you couldn't even download it over the internet yet, right? Um, and um, and so suddenly I have an email server. And like, I don't Great. know congratulations. You know what to do with it. Like, you know, like, I'm just like, like, I don't do anything with email, right? But I, but I, but I'm a college kid. I've got more time than money, obviously. Um, and so what I do, I read the manual. I, I can, I figure out kind of like, well, here's what it does. And I install it and set it up. And I start making it do silly things that like, didn't really make a lot of sense or cool little demos, you know, like receive an email on the computer would like read off the email or something, you know, talk or something. Right. Um, and, um, and so, uh, and so that was like how I suddenly started becoming an expert at email. And first I just became an expert at this one piece of software that was like super niche, but I read the manual and like nobody reads the manual apparently. And so like, there's this online group, almost the equivalent of like, you know, like a social media thing today, but you know, you know, you know if it was a, if, if, you know, a news group or like an email list and it was for all the people in the beta program and people would ask questions and the people in the company would answer their questions like once or twice a week. But I was just sitting there at my computer all day in college. I would answer the questions all day long right away because then I knew all the, I knew the answers. And so, uh, and so then eventually the company reached out to me and they said, hey, like, who are you? Who's this college kid? You got person answering all the questions. And they were like, why don't we make them an intern? Yeah, I was going to say that they and, offer you, you know, a, a tier two support job. 
Yeah, they made basically made me well, they just were like, I mean, they could tell I was going to Carnegie Mellon, I was studying computer science. They like fortunately kind of like like basically gave me the, the, the support job, but gave me a lot of freedom. You know, they were like, and you can go do other stuff, like build add-ons or do other things. And so the next thing that I did that really kind of like bridged my career and also kind of went from being a geek to being a businessman and kind of like learning more of the business side of it was um, there were these conferences going on, like the South by Southwest of the day, right? Which were Mac World and Mactivity and Internet World and like these other conferences that I'm sure, you know, you probably remember going on at the time. And um, and I was a you know freshman, junior, sophomore in college. But same thing, I wanted to go to these conferences, but they cost like $2,000 to get a ticket. I can't buy it, afford a ticket to go. And the company has no reason to really send me. So I felt start filling out speaker applications and I start making up things to come talk about, you know, at the, you know, talk and give, give talks. And it's the, you know, and I say this is just as true today as it was 20 or 30 years ago, but everything on the internet, there was always something that was only two months old like that I could be an expert at because it just got invented, you know, like, and so right. like, there's no experts at it. And all I got, you know, like I could be the expert at it and I could go teach about it. It was usually some email thing. And so, and it was kind of, you know, not, there probably weren't that many college kids applying to come speak at these conferences. It actually probably was kind of cool to have one or two of them, you know, have, they thought. so I, I started getting accepted and the company, even though they probably wouldn't have flown me out originally when I got a speaker invitation, they were like, all right, well, we'll we're already going to be at that conference. We'll fly you out there. You know, like we'll pay, you know, pay for your travel and stuff. And so I, so I start getting flown out to California. I'm in Pittsburgh going to college. I start getting to fly out to Silicon Valley to go out to these conferences and be a speaker. And I got a speaker badge and I'm like going to the speaker dinner. And then I realize that who goes to conferences? The salespeople and the marketing people, that's who the company actually sends right. to all the conferences, right? Who's, who does Bolster send to conferences? You mostly send the salespeople, like, you know, like, right? Or like me. that's who's actually going, <laughs> right? And they're setting up dinners and they're setting up other things. So I'm out there as this college kid, but I'm meet, but now and I'm meeting all the salespeople at the company and the marketing people that are there, that are out there doing stuff because I'm they invite me to the dinners and things like that. And so I get to know a bunch of the salespeople. And so then one day, one of the salespeople calls me up and they say, Josh, you know, I have this deal I'm trying to close and the, the, they're trying to buy our software. And imagine like, this is like off the shelf software. It's like comes on a CD-ROM. They don't customize it or change it, you know, for you. It's like going like, can you add a button to Microsoft Word? They're like, no, I don't, we don't do that. Right. And, but they just kind of needed it to do this one extra thing for them to be able to meet their needs. So they would buy it. And the, the salesperson had met me and said, you know, Josh, you know, I think that it, you could probably get it to do the thing that they wanted to do. Um, and then you, that would help me go close this deal. So how about I send you a pizza and you go do this thing for them and help me go close this deal? And I'm like, all right, like I'm in college. I like pizza, like go for it. Great. So like I look at the thing, I set it up, I fix the thing, the guy gets the customer, I get pizza, everybody's happy. But now the sales guy has like a new tool in his pocket, like for closing deals. He's got Josh, right? You know, like, oh, like I can't get this deal closed. Well, I know this guy. If we send him some pizza, you know, like, let me see what we can do. Maybe we can make something happen. And of course, soon I at least stopped accepting pizza and I converted to saying, okay, well, you know, maybe I get paid, you know, 20 bucks an hour or whatever it was at the time that was pretty exciting for me as a college kid. And, um, 
And that really grew into a consulting business where now on the side, I'm doing little consulting projects. And so now I go and I start, the analogy today to try to quickly put it in perspective would be, I just start going out on social media and answering everybody's questions about email. Right. Right. Like yeah. the email guy, like there, yeah. well, it wasn't on Twitter or Facebook. It was on somewhere. It was on somewhere else. It's like but some like, listserv somewhere. Yeah. I just start looking for all those things about email and I just start going and participating and answering people's questions and, and being helpful. And what I learned was, you, you know, you answer a couple of people's easy questions. What do you know? They, they ask you more questions. They ask you harder questions. And so eventually they'd ask me a question that was a hard enough question that I could say, you know, that's going to take me an hour or two to really figure out for you. I do this consulting work, like, would you mind paying me to do it? And I, right. I started using that to build up consulting business. And, um, and so then, so now I'm like, got a little consulting gig going. I even hire one or two of my friends, you probably remember Ian Ragsdale. He was one of my, one of my fraternity yeah, brothers, sure. and like hired him, and like, so I was like forming out projects to him, him and Joel. And then, um, and then the last real key inflection point for me that turned it into from like a consulting service into a business, a SaaS business that word didn't even exist then, was I had this one customer, David Rogelberg, and he ran an email list, a community that was all, he was a book publisher. And so it was an email list for all the people that were like really into book publishing. And he had this community that he was running on, on, on Listar, on the email server. And he, I was one of his consulting, co- you know, he was one of my clients, like whenever his thing would break, he'd call me up and say, Josh, my server's broken. You can fix it, you know, or like, I want to change it. Can you come, you know, customize it? And he'd been a great customer for a long time. And, um, and so one day he called me up and he said, Josh, you know, I have this idea. Like I, my server it, it mostly works, but like it crashes like every, you know, you remember when websites used to crash, this doesn't really happen anymore, yeah. but uh, you know, like my website server crashes like, you know, every week or two or whatever. And then my server goes down and then my email stops working. And then I got to call you and it takes me a couple hours for you to come fix it. And like my new customer, my customers notice. And like, you know, I, I just, and, and it caught you, I, I pay you like 50 bucks and you fix it. Right. But Josh, you run a server in your dorm room, like at college and it probably crashes once a week too, but you're like sitting right next to it in your dorm room because like you're in college and you just like hit restart right away. And nobody notices because you're there all the time. So how about instead of like every time something urgent happens, I call you and like pay you 50 bucks to fix it. And instead, I'll just pay you 50 bucks a month no matter what. And you just run it on your server. Now this to you may sound not like like totally obvious, like every other SaaS business in the world and the way right. you expect everything to work today. But this was like a revolutionary idea. This was like, like that was not how anyone did anything. I know, that's if you right. wanted the, to the, run the server, you had to buy a computer and run it on the computer and plug the computer, keep the computer plugged in all the time. That's right. And like this idea of like, you're going to run it for me and I'm just going to pay you a monthly fee. Like that was a really... New idea, kind of, to, at least to me, you know. It was like, no, that was the, new to the world at that point, right? Yeah, the the term no of sense, art, right? the term of art was ASP, right? Application it was service a, provider. Exactly, application right? service provider. That is right. exactly, which, which exactly is what, right. Which, that's what became SaaS. SaaS, right? right. Pre-SaaS, it was ASP. Yeah. ASP. I was an I was an ASP, and so um, so I was like this, and I, I'm now I'm a college kid. I'm super optimistic, and I'm thinking, well, nothing's really going to go wrong. Like this is easy. This is like 50 bucks a month of free money. Like I'm, I, my parents bought me the computer. I'm plugged into the school's internet connection. I have like no expenses. 
this is the greatest thing in the world. I have to leave your money. So I'm like, this is great. Now I add a new line to my signature in my email that's like, hey, for 50 bucks a month, I can host your email list. And now I start going and answering way more, even more questions. You know, I'm like answering everybody's questions because in the end, if you're having problems with your email list, really you'd rather just have somebody else host the email list, right? You know, like it's like, let me just pass it off. And so 50 bucks a month at a time, I start adding customers onto my SaaS business, which, you know, which, which, is, which was Skyless, which, you know, as I was first, that was what it was called. And, um, and those customers, this is before email marketing. This is before spam. They have no one sending, selling anything. They're like people talking about stuff. They're small. And, and then over the course of my college career, because I graduated in 1999, right around like 98, 99, people started selling things. They started going like, oh, wow, like I have this big list of, because they've been like, had a website and all these people have bought stuff. Right. And they're like, I have all these people that have bought something for me. What would happen if I sent them all an email with a spec, like a 10% deal, you know, or whatever. And it turns out that works really well. And nobody ever done that before either. And suddenly they all start emailing their customers. And so now I get all these people signing up to use our service who are a different kind of customer. Like they're, they, they, they don't, they, they use it. You know, they, they don't, almost, I almost can't tell at first because they don't really look the different, that different, except they send more email and they are, they're, they're finding me, they're signing up. And, and it was the email marketing industry. It was this whole marketing industry coming at me. And then that was, you know, we can, depending on how much time we have, that's all the whole other story, but that, you know, that, you know, a big part of, but then that was like suddenly having to figure out and realize like, oh, wait a minute. Okay. Like there are people that are signing up to use our service and some of them are sending bad emails. How do we monitor them? How do we keep track of what they're doing? How do we figure out the, the right way to do this? Right. Um, and, um, and that was, you know, that, that was a whole part of growing that company. But the beginning um, was, was that it was really just me, you know, learn, knowing something about some of something obscure that not a lot of people knew a lot about that made me an expert about something, even though I was a college kid and, you know, talking to lots of people, meeting lots of people, trying to be helpful. Um, and then, and then someone else, you know, really coming to me both times with the idea, you know, coming to me yeah. saying, Hey, like, could you help me with this? Like, could you go yeah, do this for me? I mean, what strikes me hearing that story is it's incredibly organic, right? Uh, and um, what you were doing the whole time was customer discovery, but you weren't doing it by going out and asking people things. You were doing it because people were asking you things. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, led you to start a, a real business. Um, so, but, well, I want to ask you one question to sort of wrap on the Skylist part and move on to the next one. So uh, that was a 10 year run. So you started it in your dorm room presumably, you know, not freshman week. Um, so sometimes sophomore, junior year, whatever. So you're running this company. Sophomore, for, yeah. yeah. So you're running a company for seven or eight years post-college. You've never worked anywhere else other than, you know, bagging groceries or things you do as a kid. Um, if you could point to like one influence in that, in that chapter of your life to, you know, who taught you how to be a CEO or did you teach yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, through the Skyless time, um, I was definitely a very arrogant young CEO. Like I was excited and proud to be a young CEO and to be figuring it out as I went along. And it was, you know, I like it was 
it, I, there was this narrative in my head that you didn't really need to learn business, you know, that like, that was like, you know, or something like that, which I don't think is true anymore. Um, and so, um, so, you know, when I look, when I look back at myself as an early CEO, wow, I hope, I feel like, I feel like I've grown so much and I've, I've learned so much and I think I'm such a better CEO now. Um, and in so many ways, I hope so. Um, I think um, I think my role models, you know, to be honest, like there weren't that, you know, I, so I, I moved to Austin and I, I've unfortunately had a, I have, I've had some really great role models, but, you know, I came to Austin and in the middle of that spent a year while I was still doing Skylist working with Trilogy and Joe Lemont. And that was an incredible experience that was really transformative and, and, opened my kind of aperture up to a lot of different people and ideas and business models. And so that was one really major influence in that was Joe Lemont and also Ravi Gururaj, someone else I worked with there. Um, you were one for sure, Matt, you know, as, as uh, Skylist was growing, Return Path was a partner of ours. Um, and then even like, like kind of like Scott Bannister and Scott Weiss and a few of the others over at Ironport. Yeah, Ironport. You know, yeah other absolutely. Companies. That were partners of ours that uh, that were kind of like the people I would look to for advice about you know how I could navigate things. Trevor yeah. Hughes, you know Trevor. Trevor, you know, he wasn't yeah. necessarily a C yeah. CEO. Um, yeah. And I so I feel really fortunate. Like I had a lot of people like that mm -hmm. that I could look to. Um, and uh, it was before it was before you wrote your your start your book, um, which which I've got here, of course. But um, but you were you already had such a playbook for return path, and it was something that. You know, I got to see, but from both sides, from the outside, um, and I could already see that the company was running on this rhythm and this pattern and this system that was seemed really intentional. And then, at, then after um, we got to work together, I got to see from the inside too. Yeah, well, I think look for for um, for all founders, or at least all founders who are sort of thoughtful about the craft of being a CEO, it is you know you learn from wherever you can learn, right? Whoever you see. Um, so. I'm now scrolling through LinkedIn. And again, it takes a long time to get from one of your major things to the next because there's so many interesting things in it. Um, but when you sold Skylist, you sold it to Daytran. Um, and I didn't realize you were you stayed there for five years. Um, that's a that's an unusually long time for someone who is so entrepreneurial and such a founder to be at one one place. Um, what kept you there? And noting that that there are a bunch of overlapping things that it looked like you started or co-founded or whatever along the way. So maybe that's the answer, but. Um, yeah, I'd say the real window is about two years. What I find when you sell a company, it's very unusual for the founders to stay more than two years. Um, the first year I've only been through it a few times myself and I've, but I've seen a lot of people go through it. Um, the first year goes really quickly. There's just, it's exciting. There's take six months of announcements and like meeting people and shaking hands and doing all these different things. And then kind of transition all this stuff to do to transition. And then the next year sucks. The next year is just one after another, someone else making a decision that you wouldn't have made about your people and like take, you know, taking the company in a different direction. And that's not really fun at all to be honest, you know, in, in, in general. Um, and you have a lot less, you know, influence and control than you used to. And I think, so that's a, just a generic thing. That's not a comment about any right, one right. company or anything, but I think that's a really common pattern is, you know, yeah. the first year is kind of like rosy and then the next year it gets harder and then they kind of want to get out of there. Right? Yeah, they leave. Yeah. And so, 
Um, in my cases, I found, you know, two things. Uh, one, um, that, that I was able to use each company. You know, I'm very proud of the fact that I'm still close with, I, I feel like almost everybody I've worked with. I saw Joe Lemont from Trilogy yesterday. I'm doing this podcast with you. I just got a text from Matt at Daytran who just got, re, you know, just got engaged, uh, you know, and just, you know, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm still close with all these people that bought my companies or that I've worked with over time. Um, and, um, and I think you, 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 that's something you should, everyone should work really hard to go do. And so I was able to use everyone, every time I sold a company or did something like that, I was able to use that as a platform to help go launch my next thing. Um, and so as a result of that, um, you know, was able to, as part of that, part of keeping my costs, I'm a bootstrapper at heart, keeping my kind of costs and everything else though, was like, typically like, like I was starting other inbox, I was still getting a salary for in my healthcare from Daytran. Uh, sorry, I'm sorry, from, from, from return path, uh, from, no, that's from Daytran. Uh, from Daytran, uh, yeah. From Daytran at the time, right? And then with Capital Factory, there's part of the time of that, time of the time where I was, that was happening with return path, right? And um, another story that I often, when I'm advising people who are selling their companies, I actually tell them about about a story that uh, a conversation you and I had, which was a similar to the to the to the other one. I don't know if you remember this the, uh, uh, this conversation or you remember it the same way, um, but it was the end of my second year um, after we had sold the company, and uh, I'd sold the company to Return Path, and uh, so my naturally my two year we had a two year agreement in place, and during yeah. that time I had certain salary and benefits and equity vesting and other things like that, and we were there. There wasn't really a huge role for me to play in the company at that point moving forward, the way things had evolved. And, you know, we'd gone through all the transitions. And as I recall this conversation, you know, I, I, I called you up and I said, well, Matt, you know, everything's coming to an end. And I said, but if you want, you can, you know, extend my contract for another year. And you can, you know, pay me for another year if you want and pay me and give me health insurance for another year. Like, you know, like I'm, I'm okay with that. And you looked at me and you were like, well, Josh, why would I? want to do that and i was like well i mean it's just if you want to but if you do that that means my non-compete also extends for another year and you know i'm available to you and you know i wasn't trying to threaten you or anything i didn't have any specific plans but like it actually was pretty cheap to keep me on the you know to keep me around and like you know not you know not have you know not have to think about me doing anything or whatever else and i'm not again i don't think it was like some threat um but in both cases it was like I found I was able to stay on as an advisor, as a helpful person in different ways. It's pretty easy to be helpful to the company for a long time um, where um, it's worth keeping you around, right? And you can do, do helpful <laughs> things. And I found with almost every one company I've with, uh, every company that I sold, uh, yeah, for a year or two, I was heavily engaged, but I was on the payroll for a while, um, you know, like, try, you know, just because I left on really good terms, like, you know, like, and we were all trying to be helpful and we were all doing stuff cross pollinating each, each way, you know? Yeah, I, that's, uh, it's funny. I don't remember that conversation, but as you're saying it, I, I can, I can imagine it happening. So, yeah. um, yeah, the, you know, you, so you, you continued your pattern, um, you know, you're going from big thing to big thing, um, while starting or helping other people start some small things along the way a lot of overlap and things have you ever had have you ever had an issue with that around ip work for hire transparency or sort of how, how have you thought about that because the reason i asked that question is a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot, probably a lot of people who listen to this podcast have irons in the fire all over the place and um i'm wondering if there's if there's any story from your uh your career where like 
you didn't do something right or you ran into some issue as you were doing lots of irons in the fire? You know, that's a really great question. And, and I'm glad you brought it up. It's something I'm really proud of is that I actually don't think of anything right away like that. And I've been through a lot of complicated transactions and transitions. And, and I think one big reason why I don't, I'm not thinking of, you know, some, something right away like that is just having a lot of trend. Well, and I'm sure there are things that are, have come up. I'm sure, you know, there's probably something somewhere, but, but in general, just, you know, be really about starts with transparency. Um, don't, you know, not doing things behind people's backs, not, you know, like, like making sure that everything's kind of on the up and up and really clear about what, what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, and, um, and just, you know, recognizing that relationships are really important, that you're going to, you are going to see people over and over and over again. Like we have, I mean, literally now, like through four or five companies, right. You know, over time, uh, you know, in different ways. Um, and so, um, so just how you treat people is really important. All these, you know, um, uh, and, and how you leave things is important. And so, um, so, so yeah, I, 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 that's an interesting perspective. It also makes me think even just also, you know, how I try to handle employees and, and people leaving my company. And it's not something that, you know, you'll, even when you try your hardest, you'll never be perfect at, you know, like, you know, even when you think you've done everything right, not everyone else is going to feel like it was fair and it was perfect. Right. Um, but I really try hard to, to over deliver on all of our promises to have, to have at least me be able to say to myself in good faith, I didn't shortchange anybody. I gave them more than I said I was going to. We they got a little extra severance. They got a little extra support. They got a little extra vesting. They got, you know, I gave them extra help. Um and and that's my goal. Like I said, I know I'm not going to be perfect at it. Not everyone's going to feel that way. Um but but I but I really want every, you know, my goal is everyone's going to leave feeling that way. Yeah. All right. So let's um jump to what you're doing now and what you've been doing for a long time now, Capital Factory. Um, how did you get from multi-time entrepreneur who liked bootstrapping to being the most active investor in Texas? Yeah, you know, that was also really organic. Part of it was that Texas grew around me. You know, Texas wasn't, a, it was easy to be kind of like, it was easy to be the expert in email when nobody cared about email. It was easy <laughs> to be the most active investor in <laughs> Texas when there weren't that many investors in Texas. Right. Um, and that was really where it started. Right. I was like one of like a dozen angel investors in Austin. So like I was the most active one because I did five deals. Right. Um, but your DNA, and, um, your DNA, you were wired to, um, to not go after investment and be on that, you know, the, the treadmill that so many founders are on of like next financing, next financing, next financing. And now you're on the other side of that, that you were never on as the entrepreneur. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, I, I have raised a little bit, I have raised funding for like for other inbox and for, for, for different things. And I raise funds now that we go invest. Right. Um, but um, but I haven't. I, I am a bootstrap or hard. I do kind of come at it from a scrappy, like how do I just go do this myself, or can I fund it myself? As, like I'd prefer to. I'd prefer to just not, you know, go faster that way. Um, but um, but you know, 
but I, I but I, deep down, I, I, I do as as you know about this about me. Like I, I, I love entrepreneurs. Like I, they're my people. Like I, like I love talking to entrepreneurs. I get super excited about what they're working on and what they're doing, and and I and and I love connecting them together. Like I get a lot of personal satisfaction out of that, and so it's kind of like, there's very few people that can be the CEO of more than one company. You know, Elon Musk is quite the exception. Um, but, um, but there's, you know, a, a few others, most people, you get to do one, you get to have like one thing that you're, you know, you're in charge of. Um, and if you want to be involved in other companies, like really kind of table stakes is to be an investor. Like that's one of the main ways you get to be involved, have a seat at the table, be part right. of the conversation. And, um, and that was exciting and interesting and fun. And in the beginning, I didn't really know what I was doing at all. Um, now I think, I feel like we've, we've learned a lot and I can, you know, I feel like we know a little bit more, um, but, um, but, but really um, that, that is what it was about. It was about like, you know, how do I connect with all these different people? And if you want to have a seat at the table to be able to know who to make the introductions to, or to, you know, kind of be part of the strategy conversations or to, you know, do things like that, then. Yeah, being an investor is, is kind of the way you get that seat at the table. Yeah. And how many companies have uh, as Capital Factory invested in or how many have gone through the program or however whatever the language is used to describe it? Yeah, you know, we've worked we work with so many different people in different ways and there's a lot of free things that happen at Capital Factory and other people right. that put on programs at Capital Factory. So thousands and thousands of companies have have touched the, you know, touched it in different ways. But the way I would think about that question is like, how many companies are we on the cap table of? Like, right. do we own shares in? Yeah. Um, and um, that's approaching around 800. That's a big number. That is a really yeah. big, and all 800 uh, for the most part are made in Texas. Yeah, I mean that, that that's that was the intent. These days, I we we add about ten or twelve a month, um, and um, these days one or two of those aren't from Texas because of all the government stuff. Right. Uh, so, like for example, just the other day, a doctor flew in from Boston, and uh, with a, a software and diagnosis solution to help make sure that the right drugs get prescribed for anxiety and. Uh, PTSD and depression disorders, which can be can be really difficult, and and it kind of blows my mind that people are coming in from around the country, or that some yeah. of the drone technology is coming in from from California. But our focus really is on Texas. That's where we can be the most helpful. Uh, and the the reason those people are coming in is because they want to plug into all the growth and energy of what's going on in Texas. Yeah, no, it's 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 a great ecosystem there for sure. Um, all right, so um, last question um, of everything in your career that we didn't talk about today, what uh, has been the most, you know, either interesting or unique or impactful experience you've had? So I'm looking at Aspen Institute fellow, Eisenhower fellow, um, you know, you founded some stuff in Austin, you're, you were an investor in a wine bar, um, you know, so many interesting things over the years. What What's one that kind of stands out when you think about your career as an entrepreneur that really contributed in ways that maybe the average entrepreneur isn't going to have access to? You know, you know, I'm a big fan of saying that, you know, luck is when preparation meets opportunity, right? You know, and so you can work really hard to make sure, you know, to try to, try to get lucky. Um, but really early on, we were lucky to have just line up that we were the right place at the right time for President Obama to come visit when he came to Austin. 
and while he was in office. And that was something that was, you know, since then I've had a lot of really important people come through and, you know, kings and queens and other, you know, we've had, you know, CEOs of, of Apple and Microsoft and others, you know, like, you know, not, it's hard to beat the president, but, but we, you know, just a lot of really important people come through. And, um, and yet when that one, that was actually the first big visit that we had. And it was incredible to see as, as the most extreme example of it, the, the true power of the bully pulpit of, of the power of standing next to the president of that of him saying anything of you saying like just there was like a moment where like i was in a room with you know maybe 20 or 30 people and i'm kind of like saying something and he's standing next to me and i kind of realized after the fact like whatever i had said as long as he didn't disagree with me I had the endorsement of the president. Like, you know what I mean? Like I suddenly like it had a lot of power. Like it was like really, and it was amazing just to see how much gravitas really comes, comes with that. Um, and, um, and that being the most, you know, it happens to everybody in different roles and you see how everybody's view is, is different um, as a CEO. That's such a big challenge, right? Is how do you know what's really going on? How do you get the real deal from people, from your employees, from your customers, from others who don't want to, you know, who don't talk to you, the same way they talk to everybody else with the president they he literally like doesn't even see the real world like they imagine he's walking down a hallway and just around the corner in front of him people are painting the walls as fast as they can to like repaint them and make them bright white so that you know for him as he comes down the hallway um that's the kind of like environment he lives in everything is staged and set up and like you know and uh and uh, and built out. So anyway, that was a super unique experience that, you know, taught me a lot about one, it really helped elevate and launch Capital Factory. Um, and it really just taught me a lot about the power of leadership and of, of the significance of uh, that you can have in a role like that. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's a great moment to end on. Um, Josh, thank you for, uh, for sharing your story. You are truly like the founder's founder, the entrepreneur's entrepreneur. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say that you and I work together kind of mid career for both of us. And, uh, it's, it's been so much fun watching, uh, watching the, the, uh, empire that you've built, uh, continue to grow. So thank you very much. Oh, I'm so glad to be here, man. It's great to see you. 